This morning we will be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 23 through 34, the center section of Luke 12. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning we are looking at phase two, as it were, of our Lord's teaching about trusting in God. Previously, last week, we saw in an earlier section of chapter 12, our Lord warning us against the accumulation of stuff, warning us against greed. You remember the story of the rich fool that was so certain that he needed to get more stuff that he was concerned about how to tear down his barns and to build yet bigger ones. The problem being addressed by Jesus is a preoccupation with stuff. Now, it is not surprising that we see this in this world, is it? It's actually something that we see all the time. A preoccupation with things. This week, we're looking not at the greed that wants to get and possess things, but rather 
at the worry that comes that we may not have enough things. And I find it very interesting that in modern America, in the richest, wealthiest society that has ever existed in the history of the world, that we have become professional worriers. If you don't believe me, you need to flip through a magazine or watch a small bit of television or read some articles on the Internet. There are so many things that we need to worry about. We worry that we don't have the perfect food. And if we don't, somehow we'll all collapse and die. We're worried that we don't have the perfect home. We're worried that we don't have the perfect and safest car. We're worried that we don't have sufficient retirement assets. We're worried about schools. We're worried about education. We're worried about our health. The list goes on and on and on. And Jesus knows this. And so he speaks not just to the disciples, but he speaks directly today to you and to me. And so this morning, I'd like us to see three things from this text, three things that our Lord puts in front of us. First, he tells us to trust and don't worry. Then he tells us to focus on the kingdom and not stuff. And then third, he tells us to invest and not to treasure up. It's all about our hearts and our minds as they are wound around stuff. Trust, don't worry. Kingdom, not stuff. Invest, don't treasure. Let's begin then by looking at verse 22 and seeing our Lord telling us to trust God to provide for us. Now, verse 22 begins with two very important words. But they don't seem important at first glance. The first critically important word is the word and. The second critically important word is the word therefore. And the reason they're important is because it indicates that this is clearly a follow-on teaching to what Jesus has just taught. Because you see, Jesus is very practical. He is not only the living and true God. He is not only the Savior of His people, He is the pastor of His people as well. And so He has just told us not to be greedy, not to try and get and obtain and have. And He knows that the first question that would come to our minds is, if we're not supposed to go and get things, Lord, how will we know if we have enough? How will we know if we won't run out? Won't we have a scarcity? Won't we be left holding the bag, so to speak? And so Jesus says, Therefore, because I have told you not to strive and not to be greedy, therefore, the result is, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He says, don't worry or be anxious. This is... The other side of the same coin of greed. It's been well said that greed can never get enough. And worry is afraid it may not have enough. It is all about an obsession with things. 
And so you must listen this morning to this plain command of Jesus. This is not a suggestion from the minister. This is not one of the tips for good living. This is a command from your Lord and Savior. He looks you straight in the face and he says, do not be anxious. Let that sink in. There's no modifier there. It doesn't say do not be anxious when you have saved a certain amount. It does not say do not be anxious when times are good. He tells you plainly and clearly and without qualification, do not be anxious. Now, this is not about having no concern and giving up all planning. When Jesus says this, he doesn't say you should walk around and live a happy-go-lucky life and expect bread to fall from heaven. You see, oftentimes we try to do that with the plain commands of Scripture. We take this and we say, Jesus must mean I'm never supposed to worry about anything ever. And because I can't do that, I'm not even going to try. But we must move off thinking that way. What Jesus means here is we are not to have an unhealthy obsession, a worry about ourselves and our things. It's a distraction from what is good and ordinary in life. You should have a budget. You should plan your life. You should seek to be wise stewards, but you should not let it control who you are and what you think of God. We have an example of this. You recall that Luke told us the story just a few chapters ago in chapter 10. It's a well-known story of Mary and Martha. And you remember Jesus looked at Martha and he said, Martha, you are anxious. Exact same word. About many things. Now, what was Martha doing? She had such an unhealthy obsession with something that was good and ordinary that she ignored the Lord Jesus Christ sitting before her. Isn't that how we can be? We so worry about ourselves and our family and our friends and our jobs and our finances that we miss the work of the Lord in our midst. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, do not be anxious about what? The food that you will eat or the clothing that you will wear. Now, he takes the greatest of all things. What is more important to us than food and shelter? If we are not to worry about the very food that keeps us alive, how could we possibly worry about the brand of car we drive? (coughs) Or how many weeds are in our yard? Or what grade we will get on the quiz upcoming. Jesus says, don't worry about the food that you eat. It's a matter of thinking, not of these things, but of God. You see, we stop worrying when we trust that the Lord will provide. Look with me at verse 23. Jesus gives us an eternal principle to live by. He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, that doesn't mean food is unimportant. I'm not telling you 
Stop eating. It doesn't mean that clothing is unimportant. I'm very glad you all came clothed. But what it does mean is that life is about more than that. There is an eternality to our existence. And we, if we remember that, then we can put all of the rest of life in perspective. And Jesus tells us a wonderful illustration of this. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't work hard. They don't have barns or storehouses. Now, you can imagine he's talking directly to the people who just heard him speak of the man who thought his barns were not big enough. And he says, consider the ravens. They don't even have barns. They can't build barns. They don't have opposable thumbs. And he says, consider them. The Lord provides entirely for them. Now, put this in perspective. What are ravens? How many of you have said to your children, Oh, look outside. There's a beautiful raven out back. Look, he's picking at that dead squirrel. Look, honey. No. Ravens are disgusting, unclean scavenger birds. The Bible actually says so. In Leviticus 11, it tells Israel that ravens are unclean and you are not to go near them or to touch them. They are the worst of creatures. And God provides entirely for them. Do you see that? So his argument, Jesus' argument, is from the lesser to the greater. If God cares so much for miserable, filthy birds to provide for them, how much will he provide for you? Aren't you of more value than a bird? Aren't you made in God's image? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, are you not redeemed by the blood of Christ? So how will God not care for you even more? We see this when we go and visit a family that has pets. You go in and you see that the pet has a wonderful dish full of food, sometimes with the pet's name engraved on it, and a silver bowl filled with clear water. And we see the pet in America has its own pet bed. And we look and we see that and we think, oh, these people must not take care of their kids at all. They let them run wild in the street. No. If they take care of pets, how much more would they take care of their children? It's similar in here. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And you see, the problem is when we worry, it's not really about us. When we worry, we insult God. We are saying that God is other than he is. We insult the reality of the universe. But Jesus takes it even a step further. He tells us that Worry is unnecessary in verses 25 and 26. Look, he says, which one of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, why do we worry? What do you hope to accomplish when you worry? Think about that. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Where does your worry come from? Well, I think first and foremost, it comes from our fears. We're afraid of what is going to happen. But in reality, it's about more than just our fears. 
It's about our inability to have control, isn't it? So one of the things that we most often worry about is health. Our health and the health of others around us. Because we know we can't regenerate nerve cells. We know we can't heal ourselves. We know we can't perform surgery on ourselves. It's outside of our control. But again, what do we hope to accomplish by worrying? When does worrying come? When we can't have control and we can't do anything, so we say to ourselves, there's nothing I can do, I guess I'll just sit here and worry. Does that help? No, Jesus says it solves nothing. How many of you, by worrying here today, can give yourself one more hour of life? None of you. And yet, what would we worry about more than our lives? At the end of the day, it's the most important thing to us. More than food or even shelter. And Jesus says it's completely ineffectual. And he addresses this head on. He leaves us no room to wiggle. He says you can't affect in the least what you're worrying about. So then the question comes, why should we worry? It's of no effect. There is no advantage at all to worrying. I have a good close friend who said to me many, many a time as I was growing up in high school and in college, and I think some of you have heard me say this, when a hard providence would come, when there would be something that would be worth worrying about, he would look and he would say, that's not my problem, that's God's problem. And it's true, isn't it? Because we can't affect the things that we worry about. But worrying is not just unhelpful, it's actually downright damaging. It robs us. It robs us of our health and of our rest. When do you feel worst? When you're worrying, don't you? It robs us of our obedience. When you're worrying, do you feel like reading your Bible? Do you pray? Do you joyfully obey the commands of your Lord? No, you are wrapped up in a cocoon of darkness and inability and worry. It's actually negative. Worrying robs us of our joy. It robs us of the hope that we should have in all circumstances. How can we say with Paul, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice, when we're so busy worrying? The philosopher Kierkegaard puts it very well. He says, Worriers feel every blow that never comes. And they cry over things they will never lose. Can you afford to do that? Is it good and healthy for you to do that? Worrying accomplishes nothing. The other thing we need to remember with worry is that God himself is not stingy. We see this in verses 27 and 28. It's a problem for us in worrying. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Now, Jesus gives us the example of the lilies. Now, what does he mean by the lilies here? I don't think he means 
what we picture on an Easter morning. I don't think he means pots of Easter lilies gathered and arranged together. I think you need to picture it Texas style. Imagine yourself standing out in a field of blue bonnets. You know what that's like, don't you? Some of you have the Instagram and Facebook pictures to show for it. And why do you go out to go see the blue bonnets? No one planted them. No one cultivated them. Why do you go out to see them? Because they're absolutely gorgeous. Think about that. Now imagine you are in the field of gorgeous blue bonnets and you see across the way two men riding gigantic lawnmowers. And they mow them all down. And they take the bags and they dump them into a furnace to heat up food. That's what Jesus is saying here. The lilies are the flowers growing around him as he speaks. And what he is saying is, in this common occurrence, look at the lavish beauty that the Lord has given. If that's what the Lord can do for something as short-lasting as flowers, how could he not do yet more for you? You will experience this. As winter comes, the flowers that are in your garden will fade and they will die. They will not be less pretty because of it. But we will see the lavish goodness of God. Do not deny who God is by worrying. He is in control. He is good and he is lavish and generous. You see, the cure for worry is found there at the end of verse 28. Do you see it? Do not worry, O you of little faith. The cure for worry is faith. It's trusting God and who God is. If you want to be free from the paralyzing fear of worry, trust in the Lord. The second thing we see Jesus teaching us is to focus on the kingdom, not on stuff. We see this on verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things. Now, worrying is an indicator of something. You know the difference between a symptom and a cause, don't you? If you've ever had the chills when you have a fever... You know what this is like. Because when you have that, do you try and cure the chills? No. Because the chills are a symptom of the fever. Actually, they're a symptom that seems opposite. You feel cold when you're burning up, literally, in temperature. And so what we need to do is treat the cause, not the symptom. And so here Jesus tells us that worrying is a symptom of being focused too much on earthly things rather than heavenly things. And so he says, do not seek after these things. The word seek here is a very strong and vivid word. It means don't deliberate, investigate, pour over, put your life into. It's what is your life's passion? Is your life's passion... Concern about what you'll have for lunch? Are you worried 
about whether you will be able to eat. You see, you should give some thought to eating. If you are counting this morning on the pastor coming to your house and flipping burgers for you to eat, I hate to tell you, you will be sorely disappointed. You should have given some thought to what you might eat this afternoon. But are you so paralyzed by the thought you might not eat that you can't think about other things, that you can't focus on the spiritual realities of your life? You see, Jesus says, do not seek after the mundane, after the earthly. Seek after the kingdom of God. Because our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If we're like the nations of the world, we are tossed like a tempest of worry. Here, the word worrying is different than the word to be anxious. It actually comes from a word that in ancient Greek describes the way a boat is tossed up and down on stormy waves. It's unstable. It's dangerous. That's what worrying does to us, does for us. You see, worrying projects the worst about our life. The one who worries is always hungry. The one who worries is always unclothed. What worrying does, actually, is it takes tomorrow's burden. It takes next week's burden and puts it on today. And in case you were wondering, you were not meant to bear that burden. Do you remember what our Lord said? Sufficient for today is the burden thereof. Not and tomorrow. Not and next week. Not and next year. When you start worrying about all of the burdens for the future, you will be crushed. But instead, we should seek and go after the kingdom of God. Look with me at verse 31. (coughs) Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, the one who is bought by the blood of Christ knows that he has a heavenly Father. Not just a God, but a Father. One who cares for us. One who knows us and our needs. And so we need to know our priorities. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek our heavenly Father. And when we do, we have the assurances from God that we will obtain it. Look at what the text says. Seek first the kingdom of God and it will, not might, Not could, but it will be added to you. So don't be afraid. You have a Father who knows your needs. And there's one other marvelous thing in this verse. How do we know we will receive the kingdom of God? Is it because we are able? Is it because of the fervency of our desire? Is it because of the gifting we have? Is it even because of the promise itself? No. We will receive the kingdom because it is rooted in the character of God. Do you see that? It is God's good pleasure that you have the kingdom. 
It doesn't depend on you or your effort. It depends on God and His will and His pleasure. Well, that leads us to a third and final thing. For you see, Jesus wants us to do more than stop worrying. He wants us to live a life that is spirit-filled, a life that is focused upon the Lord, that is productive for the building up of the kingdom. And so He tells us that we are to invest and not to treasure up to ourselves. Look with me at verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is telling you here today to loosen your grip on stuff. Now, what does he mean when he says... Sell your possessions. Does that mean the pastor is telling you all, right after the service, to go home and sell everything you have and take the clothes off your back and sell those two? No, I don't think so. And I don't think so, not because it's something I don't want to do. Because if Jesus meant that we were all to sell every single thing we have, he would have told Mary and Martha to sell their home. He would have told Lazarus to sell his land. He would have told the disciples to sell their cloaks. No. You see, sometimes we take a strong command of Scripture and we take it beyond what is intended And then when we have done that and we are sure we have come up with a command that it is impossible to obey, we wipe our brow and we say, well, I guess we don't have to do that because it's impossible. Don't fall for that trick. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that we cannot be possessed by our possessions. He is calling you here today to generosity to giving, to relying and trusting upon the Lord. It's exactly how Jesus lived. Did you ever think about that? Jesus left his profession. And he traveled with very little. And yet, was anyone more generous than Jesus? Think of how many stories involve Jesus giving something to someone. It's a model for how we are to live. We cannot trust the Lord unless we know it is real, unless it affects our lives. This is like a great billows for our faith, fanning the flame. You see, that's when it becomes real to us, when we have to live and we have to understand and trust the Lord. Have you ever watched a sporting event after you already know the outcome? It's completely different, isn't it? Because you already know how it's going to come out. You don't get involved. You watch it at a distance. You see, life has to be lived. Jesus wants you to trust the Lord, your God, each and every day. Trusting His promise, but watching it work out through all of the providences that come into your life. There is a joyful abandonment to this. 
But it's not just enough to loosen our grip on stuff. We need to invest generously in others. It's not just about having less. You see, some people make a religion out of minimalism. They determine what is the minimum number of things you should have. You can't have more than 14 things. And that somehow, in and of itself, will bring you happiness. No. It's not just enough to not have things. We must do. We must be active. This is how we grow. And you see, when our giving increases, when we let go of our stuff and we invest in the kingdom and we see the eternal value of things, that is when our faith is active. That is when we see what is really important. That is when we find the Lord at work. It shows us that God gives us more than enough, that we actually have so much stuff that we can be generous and still have enough. This is what solves the problem of worry. Look at verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Generosity crowds out worry. When you're being generous, you don't have time to worry. And your hearts are pointed toward home toward an eternal treasure. Your eyes are taken off of where moth and rust and thieves destroy and put on the eternal values. So this morning, where is your heart? Is your heart focused on the things of of this world? Does worry creep into your life far more often than it should? That sets your hearts and your minds on the kingdom of God where true treasure is found. Trust the Lord to provide and see the joy that comes from seeing God at work in your life. Let's pray.